Good morning and happy Friday. This is the final episode of our Look Back shows this week as I wrap up my vacation and head back to St. Louis tomorrow. We still wanted to be with you on Roadmap to Heaven this Friday morning, September 9th. So let's begin the morning together as we always do in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God, St. Peter Claver, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today is the Feast of St. Peter Claver, and so while we're taking this week to go to some of our favorite segments that we have aired in the past of Roadmap to Heaven, we do have a new segment for you today that we recently taped at the Shrine of St. Joseph. Why did we tape that there, and what's that have to do with today? You're just going to have to stick around and find out. I guarantee you, the Shrine... St. Louis and St. Peter Claver will all come together after the break. We're also going to have for you today some conversations about a feast that's coming up next week. Our Lady of Sorrows will be looking back to a conversation with Monsignor Eugene Morris and then a follow-up to that conversation that we had with Father Zach Edgar. You're listening to the special Look Back edition of Roadmap to Heaven. Don't go anywhere. We will be back after this break. Today is the memorial of St. Peter Claver. Born in Spain in 1580, his family was wealthy and devout. But from the time he was a boy, Peter struggled with Spain's participation in the slave trade. An outstanding student, he entered the University of Barcelona where he wrote, I must dedicate myself to the service of God until death on the understanding that I am like a slave. At the age of 20, Peter entered the Society of Jesus and among the people he met was the humble porter for the Jesuits, St. Alphonsus Rodriguez, who had the gift of prophecy. He told Peter that the Lord had spoken to him and was calling Peter to serve in Spain's colonial territories. In 1610, Peter set sail for Cartagena, the capital of Spain's slave trade, where 10,000 slaves a year were arriving after a brutal journey across the Atlantic. At least a third of the slaves died on the journey, and of the survivors, many were extremely sick when they arrived and all terrified. In 1650, Peter was ordained, and following the lead of his predecessor, Father Alfonso de Sandovo said, I am a slave to the slaves forever. With the arrival of each ship, Peter would go into its hold and treat those who had been beaten and were very sick. And then after the slaves were removed, placed in chains and into a fenced yard, Peter would go among them and attend to them with medicine and food, brandy, tobacco, and prayer. In 40 years of service, he helped an estimated 100,000 slaves. He became a moral leader as well, giving spiritual direction and doing missions. He worked nonstop and finally became quite sick. During the last four years of his life, he was ill and all but neglected. He died in 1654 at the age of 74. St. Peter Claver, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts.
It's always a treat to pray at the Shrine of St. Joseph, the beautiful Shrine of St. Joseph in downtown St. Louis. And I'm happy to be on the road today in the rectory of the Shrine with Jim Allen, who is one of the volunteers who keeps things operating here over the the many years. Uh, Jim, we are celebrating a very special day, the Feast of St. Peter Claver. And some of our listeners may be saying, well, Adam, you said you're at the Shrine of St. Joseph. What does that have to do with St. Peter Claver? So rather than me tell the story, I thought I'd turn it over to you for a moment here. Peter Claver was a Spanish Jesuit who did his work in Cartagena, Colombia, South America during the slave trading years. African slave ships would come around from Africa, come across the top of South America, and stop in Cartagena. Peter Claver would, would go on the slave ship take off the Africans who had died and bury them properly, and he would minister to the Africans that remained, binding their wounds and baptizing many of them into the Catholic faith. Peter Claver is associated with St. Joseph's Church because in March of 1864, a Jesuit missionary came through St. Louis with a relic of Blessed Peter Claver. He said at other places he had the relic, people who were sick had venerated or touched the relic and become healed. Well, there was a German woman in the crowd whose husband had been injured in a factory accident. His name was Ignatius Strecker. The Streckers lived in the area, and he worked on the riverfront in a soap factory. One day at the soap factory, he was struck in the chest by a metal rod, and even though it didn't penetrate his skin, it caused him great pain. Over time, he was so debilitated and sick that he couldn't work anymore. The doctors who were treating him diagnosed him as having terminal tuberculosis. They said he had tuberculosis and was going to die. There was no hope for the man. Mrs. Strecker had her children carry him here on a stretcher, and in his own words, Ignatius Strecker said, when he touched the relic of St. Peter Claver, he felt a surge of energy in his body, was able to stand up and walk home. Within days, he was able to go back to work in the soap factory, and he actually lived for another 15 years. The doctors who were treating him could not explain how he'd become healed from what they thought was a terminal illness. The church did investigate that and deemed it to be a true miracle attributed to Peter Claver, and it actually happened right here in our church, back there by what we call the Dying Joseph statue, because back in the day, that's where the altar would have been on the east side of the church. So it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, For those who don't know the process of canonization in the Catholic Church, of course, at the beginning, there is a study into the life of the person who is the, the word is postulated, or there is a cause for their sainthood. They investigate their writings, their public statements, their works, did they live a life of virtue, so on and so forth. And at a certain point, there's beatification where they become blessed, and then canonization where they become saints. So for that process, though, the Vatican looks for two miracles attributed to the person who's being uh, brought forward for the cause of sainthood. And this miracle that Jim's just told us about, the healing of Ignatius Strecker here at the Shrine of St. Joseph, not only is it a miraculous healing, but it is one of the two miracles that the Vatican used for the canonization of St. Peter Claver. So today's saint that we celebrate, we may not know much about him, but now we know a little thanks to Jim, has a very local connection. So I would encourage you, if you not only want to enjoy the history of this, but you want to pray where a miracle occurred, then make it a point at some time to visit the Shrine of St. Joseph. Uh, Jim, for our listeners who want to make a trip here, how can they find out information about when they can come to the Shrine and, and when they can come for Mass? Sure. So, so Sunday Mass is Sundays at 11 a.m., Open door about ten, open the doors about 10:30. Every mass is followed by a tour, so I'll, I'll give a little spiel about the place, about the tour, the church, and the history, and the miracle, and the restoration, because that's a miracle in itself. Um, and also on our website, 
shrineofstjoseph.org, all the history, all the background, and you can actually schedule a tour from there as well. Jim Allen, thank you so much for welcoming us to the Shrine of St. Joseph today. Since we're on the road, we have to take a break so that the marvels of modern technology can allow us to pick Roadmap to Heaven right back up in the studio. Don't go anywhere. Prayer to Our Lady of Perpetual Help O Mother of Perpetual Help, grant that I may ever invoke thy most powerful name, which is the safeguard of the living and the salvation of the dying. O purest Mary, O sweetest Mary, let thy name henceforth be ever on my lips. Delay not, O blessed Lady, to help me whenever I call on thee, for in all my needs, in all my temptations, I shall never cease to call on thee, ever repeating thy sacred name, Mary, Mary. We are back, and if you're just joining us today, we are wrapping up a week of looking back at some of our favorite segments here on Roadmap to Heaven over the past two and a half years. And while I'm on vacation, odds are good I'm actually tuning into this segment right now. It's that good. It was a conversation we had with Monsignor Eugene Morris back in 2020 about Our Lady of Sorrows, and it's really a beautiful conversation. On top of that, we're going to follow it up with what became the natural follow-up conversation with Father Zach Edgar on moving from sorrow to joy. So they're meant to be listened to in a pair. If you can, great. If not, that's why we have the podcast. But let's not delay anymore. Let's go right into this. Once again, we are on the road. We are preparing for the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows, joined by our good friend, Monsignor Eugene Morris from the Oratory of Saints Gregory and Augustine. Monsignor, good to be with you again. Adam, it's good to be here with you. Always thanks for the invitation again. I appreciate it. We think of this title, Our Lady of Sorrows, actually the the patroness of my parish. So I, I reflect on this title quite often. It's not a happy thing, but as Catholics, we're not always happy. There's some suffering we have to do, as we say, the road to heaven passes by the foot of the cross. So let's start with a primer. Are these just seven sorrows that were, oh, look in the scriptures, here are seven sorrowful things. Where does this title come from? It has uh, its origins really in a 14th and 15th century devotion. Although really, let's back it always up because again, um, and we've spoken about this before, the intimate relationship between Our Lady and Our Lord uh, is such that every aspect of our Lord's life, Our Lady is a participant in that. And again, most especially at the foot of the cross. And her title at the foot of the cross is Our Lady of Sorrows. She is compassionate with, she shares in compassio, she walks with journeys in the passion of our Lord. When everyone else abandons him, she is there present with him. And so the church begins to reflect from that moment, they again to reflect back to these other aspects of the life of Christ of and and the life of our lady meditating on that beautiful relationship between the suffering of our lord and the suffering of our lady which really begins with the prophecy of simeon then the flight into egypt losing our lord for three days which i can only imagine how difficult that would have been and then it in a sense skips to those aspects connected to the lord's passion his ascent to calvary the crucifixion the deposition of our lord taking our lord from the cross and then our Lord laid into the tomb. The beauty of this, though, again, for, to remind us, you know, because oftentimes, okay, well, that's fine for Our Lady. 
What's that got to do with me? Well, how is Our Lady there in the midst of the suffering becomes, again, an example for how am I in the midst of my suffering. And as you said at the beginning of the program, you know, life is not always happy. There is suffering. We're asked to endure. And the cross is central to our lives as Catholic men and women. We can't, the cross can't just be something to be gotten through. The cross needs to be a reality we're willing to carry. So the question becomes, knowing that we are going to suffer, what's the best way to suffer? And there again, in his love and wisdom, Christ gives us his mother to say, well, look at, my, look at your mother. Look at my mother. Look at what she did. Now you go and do the exact same thing that she did. She's the model for yes. us. Absolutely. She's the model. So let's talk about that then. What did the Blessed Mother do in the midst of these sufferings? She is there. And I, again, I think sometimes we kind of underestimate that. Um, so doing in terms of did she stop the suffering? No, obviously not. It wouldn't have been her role to do that. Uh, and again, I can't imagine for any mother to lose their child before them. Obviously, no parent wants to bury their child. That simply is not the way things go naturally. But And so this mother particularly would have been overwhelmed, and yet she trusted in what the angel Gabriel had said to her, trusted in what the Heavenly Father had promised her uh, and given to her by virtue of her Immaculate Conception, of course, knowing the, the public ministry of her son and all that he had taught. She's there confident in God, especially in the midst of his difficulty. So when everyone else abandons our Lord, and St. John Paul II describes her as a witness to the, the kingship of Christ, she, she's a witness, and by virtue of being a witness, a voice to the triumph of the Lord on the cross. So what she does for him is not anything physically. She doesn't do anything to—she can't do anything to alleviate the pain. But the pain and the suffering that our Lord endures is not only in his body— it's also in the very depths of his soul, and it's there by virtue of her presence there, her witness there, that she is able to be a comfort and a source of strength, if you will, for our Lord. Uh, to kind of a lesser degree, the beloved disciple is there as well, but it is Our Lady because she's been there from the beginning, uh, every step of the way. She never faltered in journeying with or behind him, and so we are, in a sense, not actually, I would say required to do the exact same thing. Our own sufferings, this is that St. Paul line, What making up for what's lacking in the sufferings of the Lord. Well, nothing is really lacking in the suffering of our Lord. What we're doing is through our own sacrifices, participating and in involving ourselves in uh, the redemptive work of our Lord, except now, in a post-resurrection reality, our sufferings can indeed be meaningful and transformative for us and for the whole world as well. I think one of the beautiful aspects of this, when you talk about how our Lord gives us the Blessed Mother, not only as an example, but as a comforter that we we can turn to. Um, I've spoke about this before on the airwaves that a, a year or so ago, our youngest daughter was two at the time, and she was hospitalized with a blood infection and running high fevers and terrible aches and pains and discomfort. And even my wife, who is a nurse, who works in the very hospital where our, our daughter was hospitalized, there was nothing she could really do to stop the suffering. But she would not leave the bedside. She would hold our daughter for seemingly 24 hours straight each and every day to be there to comfort her. And much in the same way, in prayer, the Blessed Mother comforts us. And lest we think, well, she wouldn't understand my suffering. Well, no. 
we probably don't understand hers as much as she understands ours. That is very true, and I and, and I uh, thank you for sharing that because that's a beautiful image. We, we've all been at the bedside, hopefully, of loved ones, especially in an hour of difficulty, or maybe even sadly at the hour of death itself. You know, the question we would, would never be: What are you doing there? Why are you there? We know exactly what we're doing and why we're doing it. We know what we're doing is being with our loved ones at a moment where there might be fear, uh, that sense of abandonment, alone. I mean, the Lord was alone. He was physically alone, obviously had to be, abandoned by those closest to him, ridiculed, I mean, just horrible things done to his body. And of course, all that effect on his soul as well. And so Our Lady is there to comfort him. Uh, And then again, as that witness and that support, uh, we don't ask the question, what, why are you at the bedside? Because this is where I know I need to be. And then, because we know our Lord has given Our Lady to us, she can then likewise do the same for me. If I might be tempted to lay aside my cross because it's too difficult, our Blessed Mother is there to say, no, you can do this. And I will hold your hand every step of the way to give you the strength to do this. That's a beautiful, beautiful gift that the Son gives to us, and Our Lady freely accepts that role. Last time we were together, we spoke about how when we go to the Blessed Mother, and recurring theme on the show, when we go to the Blessed Mother, she leads us to Jesus. She always points us to her son. I think of children, my children, children I've known myself as a child, probably you as a child. There are times we suffer, whether it's the stub toe, the bee sting, or my, my favorite, so-and-so said something mean to me. My brother called me stupid. My, my sister told me that I was dumb. Any of these things. And they're hurtful. And children go, where do they go? They don't go to dad. They go to mom and say, mom, my feelings are hurt. Easy for us to go not only to our own mothers, but to the Blessed Mother for these things. Sometimes we suffer, though, as a consequence of a poor decision we've made. Yes. This could be sin. This could be uh, I was going to hit my brother across the face with a building block like I did when I was five years old, and he hit me back, and I didn't want to admit that I started it. There is a fear of being vulnerable, a fear of being honest in prayer and saying, Blessed Mother, I know I am suffering because of this mortal sin or this consequence. Um, what kind of freedom can we find by by offering that to her to say, please pray for me? I think of that in the, the second half of the Hail Mary, that pray for me now and at the hour of my death. Well, certainly at the hour of my death, if I haven't resolved these things through sacramental confession, I'm going to be paying a price. So what would you say to those who are, are hesitant to offer those things to our Blessed Mother. Well, there's a, a beautiful spiritual reflection called uh, ascending to, uh, or pardon me, descending in order to ascend. It's um, by Archbishop Luis Martinez, who, Archbishop of Mexico City, I believe in the mid-1800s, maybe. I may be wrong on my dates. But it's the whole book is a reflection on when we are at our lowest moment, that's precisely the opportunity that we can beautifully reach up to God. And in one sense, even more, uh, intensely experience his mercy and compassion as opposed to the minor sins or failings for which we might be guilty. And the same would be on a lesser level, but just as intense, true in our relationship with Our Lady. We might be embarrassed or ashamed, um, as we would be before our, our own mothers, to admit our faults and our failings. But because we know of that unconditional love and know that there's nothing we could do that would ever impede that love for us, we go at that precise moment. And the freedom, as you say, that comes is not only then the 
uh, unburdening of ourselves with whatever particular sins or struggles we placed ourselves in, it also is the deepening of this relationship now that's going to give me strength. So I'm set free from the burden of sin, and part of the burden of sin is it isolates us. I then also am brought into this relationship that's going to help me to move forward, past my sin, and into a deeper relationship with the Lord. So it's always counterintuitive. When we're the most sinful or guilty, we feel at that moment we need to stay away from God. I can't go to God now. I can only go to God when everything is good. When God has already made that clear that that's the exact opposite of what he wants. I want you to come to me. Uh, I want you to be perfect, but if you fail in that perfectedness, Come to me when you're broken. And of course, Our Lady, obviously, as you say, is always there to precisely do that because she is the best mother caring for us or her wayward children. I think of a specific example from my life. Uh, One time, one of our daughters, who shall remain nameless, knew that there was leftover ice cream cake in the downstairs freezer and uh, knew that if she asked, we would probably say, no, not right now. So she took it upon herself to try and get some. It was frozen, and she ended up cutting her finger with a knife. Not seriously, um, but she would not tell us what happened. She just kept holding on to her thumb, and finally I got a sense of what happened. But my wife, you know, her first reaction was not, well, we need to talk about the punishment. Her first reaction was, we need to heal what ails you? You have a cut on your hand. We need to clean it, bandage it, and make sure that you're good to go. We'll worry about all of that other stuff next. Is that similar to how it works with the Blessed Mother when we are suffering as a consequence of our own decision? It, 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 I would say yes, except the difference is, you know, for little kids that's anticipating the punishment coming afterwards, we're already in the punishment because of the nature of the sin. We're already punished. Um, and Our Lady is there to say, look, you're already suffering. That's what sin has done to you. So let's actually heal you and get you back on track in relationship with my son. And then we can deal with the further, if you will, repercussions of whatever is going to come after that relationship actually has been restored and healed. Uh, Again, Our Lady is always there to move us forward, to deepen our relationship with her son. But when we're talking about sin, it's something that we always neglect about sin, and that is the impact that it has on us already. We're we're already being punished. As soon as we're guilty, we're being punished. Uh, The guilt we feel, uh, the the physical or spiritual effects from the sin. And so Our Lady's never going to focus on that because she's not concerned about um, that. She's not concerned about punishment. She's concerned about redemption. She's concerned about restoration and wholeness. Uh, Her son will mete out justice and mercy to us. That's not her particular role. Her role is to mediate the grace that draws us back to him. Wonderful. Well, as we conclude, could we ask for a blessing for our listeners? Certainly, by all means. Through the intercession of our Blessed Mother, may our Heavenly Father bless you. Our Lord send his grace upon you and the Spirit fulfill you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Monsignor. Adam, God bless you. Thank you. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We will be back right after this. Prayer to the Blessed Virgin. Oh, Mary, you desire so much to see Jesus loved. If you love me, this is the favor which I ask of you, to obtain for me a great personal love of Jesus Christ. You obtain from your Son whatever you please. Pray then for me that I may never lose the grace of God, and that I may increase in holiness and perfection from day to day. 
by that grief which you severed on Calvary, when you beheld Jesus expire on the cross. Obtain for me a happy death, that by loving Jesus and you, my mother, on earth I may receive the reward of loving and blessing you eternally in heaven. Back in 2020, you would have had to wait a whole other day after hearing Monsignor Morris and I talk about Our Lady of Sorrows to hear this next segment. But today, because we're looking back, we can put them both together the way they were meant to be heard. So let's jump into our conversation we had back on September 15th, 2020, with Father Zach Edgar on how we move from sorrow to joy. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven at 735 on this Tuesday morning, September 15th. I want to say the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. I almost called it September Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows, but it is the 15th. You know, I want to share with you one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 30, a psalm for a song for the dedication of the Temple of David. I praise you, Lord, for you raised me up and did not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you for help and you healed me. Lord, you brought my soul up from Sheol, and you let me live from going down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you faithful. Give thanks to his holy memory, for his anger lasts but a moment, his favor a lifetime. At dusk, weeping comes for the night, but at dawn there is rejoicing." At dawn, there is rejoicing. Great reminder for us that if if we are on the road, the correct road, we're on the right path, we're living a holy life, we're fortified by the sacraments, we're fortified by prayer, we're strengthened in prayer, in community, and, you know, with one another, that we might go through some suffering in this life, but in the morning, in the morning, there is rejoicing. At dawn, there is rejoicing. We are going to talk about that now with a fellow uh, devotee of Our Lady of Sorrows. Father Zach Edgar is with us on the phone today. Father Edgar, so good to have you with us this morning. Good to be with you, Adam. I I don't think you realize what segue you just gave me, but we'll get into it. Thank you for that beautiful (laughs) reflection from Psalm 30. All right, now I don't, I, just, you know you, I don't think you know what you're in for, but uh, but this, that, was pretty, right. that was pretty that was pretty providential. Well, you know, it, 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 when you have a good psalm, you just go with it, and and the Holy Spirit does some work here, Father. Let's before we dive into that, um, let's remind everyone what's your connection to Our Lady of Sorrows because you called me specifically and said, Adam, I would love to do something with you on this feast day. Sure. So uh, we have uh, one parish in the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois uh, dedicated to uh, Our Lady Sorrows, and that's my home parish in Vandalia, uh, Mother of Dolors, which was founded in uh, 1845. And uh, after 157 years, uh, I became the first uh, native son to ever be ordained to the diocesan priesthood from that parish. And since then, we've had two more, praise God. But it was a a long wait, and those people in that little place in an area that's not very Catholic were able to help foster my vocation, and I'm deeply grateful to them, and especially to my childhood pastor of 16 years, Father Steve Satiroff, who's uh, chaplain at the um, 
Hospital in uh, Alton, Illinois, and also uh, lives with and is chaplain and spiritual director for many of the Franciscan Sisters of the Martyr St. George. And uh, those uh, those years were formative, and I have always believed that Our Lady of Sorrows, under her title, Mother of Dolors, however you wish to say it, uh, has been taking care of me and preparing me uh, for a priesthood that's helped a lot of people deal with grief, uh, a lot of people deal with loss and uh, anointings of the sick and all kinds of things where, you know, people could easily turn into fear and uh, hopelessness, but instead uh, has given me an opportunity to bring them a little joy, which I think is what we want to talk about today. So, Well, let's talk about that. I was going to ask you a question, but after your, your comments when you first came on, I'm just going to say this, Psalm 30 at dusk weeping comes for the night, but at dawn there is rejoicing. So open the floodgates, Father. What is it you want us to know today? Well, and maybe you share this uh, particular uh, devotion as, as well. There's a really common book that a lot of parishes use for the Stations of the Cross. And um, the image of shifting from Good Friday, not looking like a failure, but instead being the greatest triumph in history, starts when, uh, you know, we got that beautiful image of the Pieta, when Jesus is taken down from the cross, and then he's laid in the tomb. Well, the psalm I grew up with from four years old at Mother Dollars in Vandalia, all the way through my childhood that I probably had memorized by the time I was seven, because we never, ever, ever used a different book for stations, <laughs> was Psalm 30 at the 14th station. Jesus is laid in the tomb, and every word that you just read is the exact paragraph that the entire church prayed together in one voice led by the pastor during stations for the 14th station of Jesus being laid in the tomb, which you think, of course, like is a failure. But here, uh, look at it this way, when at nightfall weeping enters in, but at dawn, at the resurrection, in other words, comes rejoicing. So even in the um, moments of our life that look like total failure, total loss, nothing could ever come out of this, God can do a 180 with anything. And so what a beautiful providential bridge to use that Psalm 30, not only... Uh, for, you know, probably, oh, this is probably from the 50s, so for 70-some years in this particular, uh, I know there are many versions of the Stations of the Cross, but in that particular version that I happen to grow up with and for you to use that today, uh, which is always something I try to uh, preach about when uh, we start to get in that mode of hopelessness and despair. We look to Psalm 30 and Jesus being taken down from the cross and laid in the tomb to have uh, properly ordered hope that truly uh, our faith tells us and we ought to act like uh, God can do anything with anything. All right. So, but this, as we talk about this, and by the way, friends, if you're listening, I did not have operatives from the RCIA, the Roman Catholic Intelligence Agency, out there scouting the uh, the, the Stations of the Cross booklets at Father's Home Parish to know this is like pu- just pure providence this morning that I quoted yeah. that psalm, and here we go. But, Father, as we talk about this in our practical lives, this is one, you know, a couple things come to mind. One, this is a reason to hope that we know that suffering does not have to have the final word, but and this is this is a really big caveat here but that doesn't mean we can just presume that because i suffer good things will come it it, it really all does depend in a sense on what we choose to do with our free will in that time of suffering are we going to make a return to the lord are we going to turn to the lord i wonder if you could share with us some of the things we need to be keeping in mind that we have to do so that our suffering could be turned into joy and that's uh, a beautiful illusion right there on how to do it from Psalm um, <clears throat> 116, you know, uh, how can I make a return to the Lord for all the good he's done for me, you know, in the midst of our suffering? Can we look at everything potentially as an offering? Um, 
so many times uh, on a practical level. I've seen people in the hospital, I'm giving them last rites, or they, you know, they don't know what's going to happen. They're preparing for a big surgery, uh, bypass surgery, something like that. And uh, there's a lot of uncertainty at the other end. But we pray, and instead of being fearful, uh, they're incredibly joyful and hopeful, and they know whose hands they're in. Um, and that's exactly what Our Lady of Sorrows wants to provide us, that just as we are so comfortable uh, as little kids with our mom and our grandma and our family that we know and trust and love, um, we can have that trust and joy and not fear uh, no matter what we're facing. And I think that the hinge on that, Adam, of being able to offer ourselves, which sounds like a nice hallmark thing, right? But when we can really turn everything into a potential offering, God, please take this. Mary, please take this. Turn this into something good for me or for somebody else. Uh, even though I don't see it right now, you know, I give I give all this to you. Um, and uh, since uh, you know, like when when we're little kids, we 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 have that childlike trust, and we lose that so easily. Um, and go away from that scripture that says, "Unless you have the heart of a child, you will not enter the the kingdom of God." We want to always have that hope, and and we we I think the remedy for that on a natural level that we forget about when we get into our adulthood and we try to fix everything ourselves is semi-Pelagians or whatever, you know, uh, in order to get little in the spiritual life, as St. Therese uh, so beautifully says, you know, one of the best ways we can do that is just simply to be on our knees, right? To kneel at our bedside, to kneel in church, uh, to get little, because uh, the liturgy teaches us every time uh, we talk about the moment of heaven being made possible for us, the Word was made flesh, whether it's the Annunciation or at Christmas or every time we pray the Creed or whatever, like in the Old Mass, you know, we're instructed to kneel at those moments of the Incarnation when Mary's yes and Jesus' sacrifice and offering uh, allow heaven to be possible, something that was impossible, the biggest 180 in history that should give anybody hope in any situation. We can, we can resurrect this. Um, and whenever we need that moment of resurrection in our life, uh, and whenever it's most difficult to trust and most difficult to offer, uh, we need to get on our knees and be little. And that's how we're going to regain the heart of a child. That's how we're going to, you know, do all those things that we, we know we have said a million times, take up our cross daily and follow the Lord unless we don't want to be his disciple. You know, all those things that we can either in our mind turn those into a threat or turn those into great hope and joy of discovering, like a little kid, for the first time seeing something big and bigger than themselves and totally amazing, like, wow, I want to enter into this, you know. And if you sit down and on your, and, or you're on your knees, and can pray about heaven a little bit and think about the next life a little bit, not just as a family reunion, but about seeing the magnitude of God face-to-face, that should elicit joy and not fear. And, uh, and, our, and Mary, with her yes every step of the way from, um, from the Annunciation in Nazareth to, to Calvary to offering her son just as she offered him in the temple when he was 40 days old, and Simeon gave the prophecy of how she'd be Our Lady of Sorrows. Uh, you know, everything that she does, she tries to teach us how to have hope and joy, even if the act itself, um, you know, well, it kind of stinks for us in the moment, right? You know, uh, right, but we don't right. want to look at it. That, we don't want to look know, at it that way. We want to look at it as, as the end and not the, not the moment itself, right? So, You know, Father, one of the things I think of, and, and this is something that periodically, maybe every, every couple of years, I kind of fall into this trap a little bit in, in, it takes me a while sometimes, unfortunately, to shake myself from it, 
that I get caught up in my own sin, right? And and I think about, oh, I need I need to get to confession. And then this little voice mm-hmm. creeps in, but what's the point? What's the point? I mean, the last time you went to confession, Adam, you you, you said you uh you confessed these same sins. And the time before that, it was pretty much the same sins. And the time before that, and the time back, what's the point? You're never gonna get out of this. You're never gonna get break free of it. And I remember going to my my pastor with that at Our Lady of Sorrows, and I said, you know, Father, I'm really struggling with this one particular thing right now. This idea that what's the point? What is the point? And, and I know, and I've been taught and I've been told and, and I get all of that father, but in my heart, I'm just having a really hard time coming to grips with that. And he said to me, Adam, you have to stop focusing on that easy words, hard to do. Sometimes you have to stop focusing on that. And instead don't focus on the, the magnitude of your mistakes in the past, focus on the overwhelming magnitude of God's mercy right now when you come to the sacrament of reconciliation. And, and so I'm curious if you could maybe open that up in a different way for us. How big uh, of a doorway is that to say in the midst of our sorrow, some of it, you know, honestly self-inflicted through our own sin to just make sure that we are constantly uh, making a good confession to, to keep ourselves right with the Lord. What's the power in that for us as we talk about joy? Right. And you and you just hit the nail on the head. The tension, you know, in my three years as a high school chaplain, I can't tell you how many times, especially the young men uh, that I worked with in those three years, um, you know, said something of the same words uh, that you just said to me, you know, what is the point if I keep saying the same thing um, over and over again? And that's what keeps a lot of people away from the sacrament, and it starts when, you know, they're mulling these things over in their head as they're young, you know. So if there's any patterns of sin, if there's any grudges, whatever, you know, um, it's stuff that's very difficult to let go of on a natural level. How do, how do we get any um, uh, freedom from that, you know? And, and, and it is totally on uh, the frame of mind in which, we, in which we view it. You know, do we view this as freedom, or are we, are we viewing this as, a, as like a, a fire escape, right? So it's the difference between perfect and imperfect contrition is what you just described, right? So, like, perfect contrition is we don't want to offend God anymore because we really love Him, and uh, that love and His rescuing us from sin and death and Mary's yes to making all that possible that we celebrate today, even as Our Lady of Sorrows, when everything looks terrible on Calvary. Um, you know, when we really focus on that for what it is, we can have great hope. Um, and if we if we allow that prayer to convert the moment from just the, oh, no, I don't want to go through this, or, oh, no, this looks terrible, or, oh, no, what have I done again, you know, and we want to give up on ourselves, um, trust, again, is going to be the hinge, right? Um, and if we really allow that, uh, you know, not everybody's going to have a St. Paul moment or a St. Augustine moment or a St. Teresa of Avila moment in their life where it's just bam, but every time we go to confession, we do have supernaturally the opportunity for that same moment. It, it is a huge moment of transformation and grace, and if we look at it in a, in a poorly formed light, or it's just like, well, here I am on the, uh, the treadmill of sin, and I'll be back, you know, like, where, where's the firm purpose of amendment in that? Like, if, if there's no trust, on a, if you want to talk about where the rubber meets the road for confessors, I, I don't know if most people articulate it this way, but this is how I'm going to articulate it to you today. If we don't have trust in the freedom that comes with absolution, if there's some um, obex is what Ramakati would say, right? It's the Latin word for obstacle, right? If there's some hardness of heart, if there's some lack of trust there, um, we're not going to look. We're not going to look at it the right way. 
um, and, and we're going to cheapen the sacrament in, into something that it's not instead of the incredible freedom and joy that comes with like, wow, you know, the Lord just saved my life. We, we get that if somebody pushes us from out, out from in front of a bus and saves our life. We get that in military service when somebody takes the proverbial bullet for us and we're grateful to that person for the rest of our lives. And yet we ought to look at confession that way as our St. Paul, St. Augustine, St. Teresa of Avila moment of conversion every single time. And like you said, it's so easy to get stuck looking downward instead of upward uh, in the spiritual life and in this world that we don't see it for, for what it is. So uh, a lot of the problem, I guess, lies with our own tunnel vision. And I don't know any way to counsel you to, to get out of that other than to spend more time in silence uh, and in prayer. It's not going to be a magic wand that suddenly it it happens, but if we give ourselves over before the Blessed Sacrament and to get into our churches and be on our knees as much as we can, that's where the, the moments of conversion that we need with the help of Our Lady, uh, when we're that, um, like I said, the Pieta earlier, I mean, that's us when we're without sanctifying grace. We are that lifeless body in her arms, uh, supernaturally speaking, and she wants us to come back to life, and so all is not lost, just as it wasn't lost in Psalm 30 and in the end of the Stations of the Cross like we started with today. Um, we can come back to life if we'll just give the greatest gift we could give God, which seems counterintuitive, which is the gift of our sins. He wants, that's why he died, and he didn't die in vain. So just give the gift of our sins to him so that they can be transformed and destroyed, and we can have his life of the Trinity, uncreated life, forever and ever and ever, that just is. We can have that inside of us instead of uh, just our own natural mortal life, which isn't going to save anybody. Now, we have to have that sanctifying grace. We have to have that resurrection from spiritual death to spiritual life. And if we see that in prayer, uh, there's a lot more reason for, for hope and, and waking up and sticking with that transformation rather than just looking at it as like, oh, this is the treadmill of stuff that I go through, and I'll be back because I'm terrible. Exactly. You know, we can't, exactly. we can't do that. And we can't do that. And that's why it's hard for kids and, I guess, many adults to approach confession. Uh, in in the way that they ought, because they've never had that boom moment uh, of realizing the, the 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 sacramental grace for and the absolution for for the freedom that it truly is. You know, Father, in those moments, I'll share with you what what does work for me is is meditating, as you just said, in silence, meditating on the cross. We have a beautiful crucifix in the parish church, and and I I have a beautiful crucifix on my rosary that I carry in in my left pocket every day, and just meditating on that helps reorient me to the magnitude, Amen. the overwhelming magnitude of what our Lord has done for us. We are almost out of time for the show, so I want to I want to close our with this before we ask for a prayer or a blessing here. Sure. The end of Psalm 30, we, we hear these words, verse 12, You changed my mourning into dancing. You took off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, so that my glory may praise you and not be silent. O Lord my God, forever will I give you thanks. And I think as we focus on joy that comes after suffering, that is also a key reminder is that we, we cannot be silent about this, and especially when we look at all of the suffering and all of the despondency and just all of the outright uh, rejection of the joy of God in our culture today, we, we can't be silent. Silence isn't going to do anything. And if nothing else, it's when I fall silent that I am not able to remind myself. You know, it's like telling my Amen. wife I love her yeah. every day. Most of the time I'm telling her I love her. She knows I love her. It's because I need to say it out loud and I need to keep verbalizing it to stay focused on that. And I love that tie-in of yesterday's feast, the exaltation of the Holy Cross, 
with today, Our Lady of Sorrows, that suffering doesn't have the final word. Um, there is joy that is coming in the morning. Father Edgar, I want to thank you for your time. We just have a minute left. Could we ask for a prayer or blessing for our listeners? Sure, absolutely. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we ask you to give us the gift of hope today, that in our moments where we feel stuck, we would turn to you knowing and trusting that you can heal absolutely anything. And as Archbishop Sheen so often reminded us to take that cross off the wall, place the cross in our hands, and see the beauty and the magnitude of the love which with, with which you love the world and each one of us individually. God, we pray that that grace never leaves us. And may the intercession of Our Lady and the angels and all our patron saints remain with us, that we may be firmly united to you in hope all the days of our life. We ask this in all good things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Friends, uh, again, Father Edgar, thank you for being with us and, and sharing your words with us. You have a great day. You too, Adam. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Prayer to the Blessed Virgin. Oh, Mary, you desire so much to see Jesus loved. If you love me, this is the favor which I ask of you, to obtain for me a great personal love of Jesus Christ. You obtain from your Son whatever you please. Pray then for me that I may never lose the grace of God and that I may increase in holiness and perfection from day to day. By that grief which you suffered on Calvary, when you beheld Jesus expire on the cross, obtain for me a happy death, that by loving Jesus and you, my mother, on earth I may receive the reward of loving and blessing you eternally in heaven. We are wrapping up a week of the Daily Dose of Encouragement. This week, our theme has been welcoming the stranger. And Patty, like I've said all week, I mean, you've really been challenging us. And I'm very curious to know how we're going to wrap up the week today. Well, I just hope we can take to heart and take to prayer ways that we can welcome the stranger in our own way. I mean, some people are not comfortable doing some of the things I've suggested this week, and I understand that. So you have to pray about this and in your own way find a way that works for you. But I will say on this final day, I want to talk about welcoming the stranger at mass. When you notice someone new at mass, please, please, please go up after mass and introduce yourself and welcome them and just say, I haven't met you yet. My name's Pat. You know, I go up to people all the time. I haven't met you yet. My name's Patty. And you know, what brings you to St. Ferdinand? That's what I say, of course, at my parish. But Again, ask people to introduce themselves and let's try to be a little bit more welcoming at Mass. I think we could all use this in our own parishes. And maybe if it's someone that's a non-Catholic, a lot of times in daily Mass, we have people that kind of wander into our parish sometimes for daily Mass. I go up to them right away, introduce myself and say, do you want to stay for the rosary? Would you like to stay for the Chaplet of Divine Mercy? You know, do what you can to invite, welcome, pass out rosaries, pass out medals, pass out prayer cards have something ready and be prepared for how you can welcome the stranger in your parish. Patty, what's great about this encouragement is that at our parish, there was an elderly couple that I would see every week. I had no idea who they were until I was at the St. Louis Marian Conference, and they came up and said, you sit in front of us in church. And I said, you sit behind us in church. And I finally learned their names, and I'm so glad I did. And we're so grateful to know them to this day. So I want to thank you for this encouragement. Well, that wraps up our show, and that wraps up our week of looking back at some of our favorite segments on Roadmap to Heaven. 
I'll be back in studio with you on Monday, but until then, let's conclude the week and the show with a prayer as we always do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. Our Lady, Queen of Heaven, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you've enjoyed this week of these favorite segments of ours from the past of Roadmap to Heaven, don't forget to check out our podcast wherever you get your podcast, or by visiting ourcatholicradio.org and clicking on the Programs tab, then just click on Roadmap to Heaven. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. Don't forget to pray your rosary today.